the free for all roundtable. Round two. On round two, let's say good morning to Sunira Chaudhry. She's an employment lawyer at Workley Law. Robert Benzie is here, Queen's Park Bureau Chief at the Toronto Star. Richard Krause, I was just looking at your coffee. That's kind of, it's almost kinky, actually, because you posted a picture of your coffee on Twitter, and here we are. It's the foam. It's all about the, the height. The okay. foam, and it's delicious. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> listen, let's uh, get into, uh, let's start with Ottawa and work our way out. Uh, Justin Trudeau announcing yesterday, finally relenting and saying, fine, fine, I'll appoint somebody to investigate this Chinese election meddling. And by the way, they're going to be a rapporteur. I understand that people want answers and Canadians deserve reassurance. I will get to the details in a moment. But today, I'm announcing that I will be appointing an independent special rapporteur who will have a wide mandate and make expert recommendations on combating interference and strengthening our democracy. I guess I shouldn't laugh, Richard, since I call you a boulevardier. But, I know. Uh, all right. We don't need to obsess over the word rapporteur. I think the more important thing is finally he did it. Well, what took so long? You know, uh, the flowery language uh, aside, uh, what took so long to uh, announce this? He's been taking heat. uh, And I think that the longer you say, we're not going to, we're not going to do this, we're not going to investigate this, the more people's suspicions were raised and and people were genuinely curious, and I think rightfully so. uh, And this has taken too long. It is a public relations fail optically. It's a fail. Uh, This should have been taken care of uh, weeks ago. Uh, Sunera Chaudhry, I remember a time when we just, it was one Crown Commission after another and it got tedious and Stephen Harper kind of put a halt to that. But this is one time where they should have gone to some sort of an investigation faster. I agree. I do think that uh, Trudeau probably, you know, after having wrapped up the investigation or the inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act, maybe had a bit of investigation fatigue and wanted a bit of space before getting into this one. But uh, I think that, you know, hearing that it's going to be a broad mandate um, and hearing that there's going to be some kind of committee or or what have you being appointed, I think that's going to be very critical to to whether or not this inquiry has any kind of credibility among uh, the Canadian population. I mean, who's who's determining the mandate and who is going to be leading the charge here? Because I mean, much like the Emergencies Act inquiry. Uh, you have uh, Justice Paul Rouleau who who ran that, and I think that's going to be the caliber of of um, person or or th- those are the types of people that should be um, being that should fill this committee with respect to this kind of investigation. Robert Benzie, there may in the end be less than meets the eye, but you know the investigation is what we need. You know what? I'll bet you dim sum uh, uh, that it, there will be less than meets the eye, John, from this, because I think that this is going to turn out to be uh, a canard worthy of the Peking duck I had in Beijing a few <laughs> years ago with Canadian <laughs> officials. But the problem is, to Richard and Sierra's point, Trudeau has bungled this in terms of his uh, his treating it seriously. Uh, they let the media define the story, which is fine by me because I'm in the media, but uh, they've handled it really poorly. And the problem is now with he's been dragged kicking and screaming that this took almost two weeks, which is ridiculous. And it, it's not he's not appeasing anyone. So you are, you have the leader of the opposition, the leader of the fourth party, uh, both say, uh, both uh, Polyev and Singh saying that this isn't good enough, that they, they need more. 
And so he's not going to satisfy anybody and he's going to continue this this sort of cascade of uh, of you know whatever i mean it's just the, the problem is we we don't really know what CSIS knows about chinese meddling in 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 uh in our elections we don't there's no evidence to suggest that they have a pro beijing government in ottawa so the idea that somehow these masterminds in china were somehow rigging our vote is preposterous uh there's no evidence that that they got what they wanted ask the michaels they were in jail for you know two years hostages in china so i mean i don't think that we have a pro china government in canada that that being said, we have we have a prime minister who had to be cajoled into doing this, and it's not a good look for him. Okay, and let me stick with you for a second, Robert Benzie, because you write about this today, and the Star has been covering it, and that would be the uh, appeals court ruling that uh, Doug Ford's campaign finance finance law violated the rights of unions and public interest groups. Uh, what's your takeaway in all of this? And I mean, it's going to the Supreme Court. I have to imagine. Yeah, they, the government's got, the, the Tories are going to take it to the Supreme Court where they've lost before. So they have a really, really, I think they're 0-14 uh, in high courts, so they're not doing so great. Um, Sanira would, wouldn't uh, tolerate that at her firm, I'm sure. Um, but uh, but uh, I, I mean, they had, I mean, they were surprised by this because this is the the ruling, the member before the 2022 election, Ford uh, had a new campaign finance law uh, that came in, came out in 2021. He used the notwithstanding clause to to ram it through after uh, after a lower court ruling said it was unconstitutional. Um, and it's it limited third party uh political action committees from spending more than $600,000 in the 12 months leading up to an election. And he did that uh, to stop labor unions from doing anti-Tory advertising in the campaign last year. It worked. It helped them. They won. But uh, now they've got to uh, to sort this out. They're going to go to the Supreme Court. It, whether they win there, I don't know. I mean, the 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 the, the, the Court of Appeal ruling yesterday said that they were they were they were in their within their rights to use the notwithstanding clause to override the lower court. But they still infringed upon the rights of uh, of uh, expression uh, for the uh, union. So it's a problem for the government. But they, you know, it's been kicked down the road to the Supreme Court. Okay, and scenario without going down too much of a rabbit hole here, I find a compelling aspect of this is that the court is effectively ruling on the notwithstanding clause as well, which could end up being part of case law in Ottawa all over again. Yeah, and we have to remember, John, that this is the first time that the Ford government, you know, used Section 33 of the Charter um, in 2021. So it is already precedent setting that's for sure, and it would be a a dangerous, uh, slippery slope if the Supreme uh, court gives any um, sort of oxygen to this type of argument uh, being made. But I think uh, it's interesting, you know, we also saw, um, you know, the Ford government uh, considering the use of it, uh, I mean, to be to to use it in the labor context whatsoever is very, very chilling. It's very scary to suggest that a government, can, you know, may be able to step in and infringe on collective bargaining rights. And so this is a fight, by the way, um, in in the use of the notwithstanding clause that Doug Ford said he wasn't going to be pursuing. And to see that it's now going to Supreme Court, uh, I think it's a really strong message that this government is going to go toe to toe with the courts um, and ram things through that that they feel necessary. And I think that sends a really strong message, not just to the courts, but to the Ontario, you know, people as well, that if the Ford government wants something, they might, you know, 
I, I think kicking it to the Supreme Court, that's a really serious, bold move to be making. Okay, let's jump to a different uh, item, and it's a think piece by an author named Alison Haynes. It's written about Montreal, but it could just as easily be about Toronto. It's how much street space and building space is taken up by parking. And I guess I'll start, as I did say, Richard Krause, you are the Boulevardier here. <laughs> uh, it asks some really important questions, I think, about urban planning, which is one of my hobby horses, and the fact that 95% of the time a car is sitting off, idle, just parked, and look at how much land and space we give to them. It is true, particularly, I think, uh, well, I'll speak for a living downtown. I live uh, right sort of in the middle of the city, and uh, the streets down here are a mess, and they were a mess all the time, and they're a mess for a number of different reasons. For one thing, there's a huge amount of construction happening uh, in the 10 blocks in any direction of where I'm sitting right now, and uh, so that has uh, taken away spots uh, for parking that's that's eaten up uh, sidewalk space and in some cases the uh, it spills over onto the street uh and then you add into that uh a lot of these buildings that are being built don't have uh parking spaces being built underneath them so we will eventually uh have a lot more street parking and as someone who lives down here i do find it i do find that uh we are wasting uh, a great amount of space uh i think of new york when they have those great kind of car condos where you just have uh, five stories high of cars parked literally on top of one another and a big sort of mechanical lift and you can uh, call your car down when you need it. Perhaps we have to start thinking uh, in that way because we are, as the article says, there's no such thing as free parking. We're using up space that the city desperately needs uh, just to have cars sitting idle. Yeah, and Robert Benzie, like I said, it's a bit of a hobby horse for me. I love talking urban design and urban spacing, but it, it, people always say, well, of course we design cities around cars. Well, we didn't actually. Toronto predates the car. We redesigned our city for cars. Exactly. And I agree with you and with Richard on this one, John, because, uh, I mean, I think I, I, the fact that we still have surface parking lots in the in the downtown core is astounding to me. Uh, I live at Dundas and Ossington. There's still one there that's owned by the city of Toronto. And I know that there's going to be they're going to be putting housing on it at some point. Uh, when uh, Joe Cressy was a councillor, that was a big local issue in our neighborhood. And, and, and I'm glad that they're doing that because it's such a waste of land. And street parking is the same. And, we, you know, we, 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 you've been talking on the show this morning about the about the city of Toronto's uh, cash crunch. Well, it's too. It's still too cheap to park in in Toronto. It's 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 ridiculously. We I mean we we bay, we don't give it away, but street parking is very very cheap relatively speaking to how it is in New York, where they don't. There's barely any street parking, if any. Uh, London, England, same thing. I mean, we're in a dense urban center now we don't we can't have it's not you know we're not in mississauga in the 1970s we can't just have car parks cars parked wherever they want to be parked a uh, member of the tragically hap is unha uh, tragically hip is <laughs> unhappy about conservatives using one of their tracks for uh walk-up music at conventions uh senora chaudhry are you sympathetic that an artist can say no you, i don't want you you know don't use my music um, I've, I've heard of this before. I don't know if any if anybody remembers. I think there was that one time where Barack Obama was entering, I think, uh, uh, a stadium when he was um, uh, when he was up against Hillary Clinton for the nomination, the Democratic nomination, and he used 99 problems, um, which 
created a lot of of uh, a, a, a lot of um, controversy for him. So I think the use of walk up music is really integral to politics and the message. I don't know how much um, the you know the artist can weigh in on it necessarily, but I do think that if an artist doesn't align with the po- politician that's using their music, I'm, I'm I love to hear them speaking up and saying, "Hey, this song isn't for you." Thank you very much. Good to have you. And it is worth noting the Conservative Party actually did pay the SoCan fee for using the song. So the Tragically Hip will get a couple of pennies in the mail. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.